Thank you, Zach. Been making our way through uh, through Luke's gospel, which I think I say every week. I need a new phrase. And the passage that we're going to get to today is important for for two reasons. One, uh, first, it's the only record we have of Jesus as a boy. Uh, it's the only it's the only historical record we have of Jesus between. Uh, all of the things said about him when he's born as a baby uh, and when he comes on the scene as an adult. Uh, Luke's gospel gives us the only picture of Jesus as a boy, which should raise the question, why? Why this particular episode? Surely there were any number of memorable moments from Jesus' childhood. Can you imagine? Uh, but this one, this one is what Luke records for us. And then second, and really more importantly, this, uh, this passage is important because it's the first time that Jesus speaks. Everything we have read up until this moment, everything we've seen up to this moment has been about Jesus. Jesus has been spoken about. But now for the very first time, we hear Jesus himself speak. Uh, and Luke moves us. This is a this is a transition, right? Luke is now moving us from all of the promise, <clears throat> the prophecies and the promises, to their actual fulfillment in Jesus's life. This story moves us from one to the other. So let's turn to Luke chapter two, and we're going to start in verse forty-one. If you're using the uh, the Bible there in the in the pew, it's page eight hundred and fifty-eight. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. Uh, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him... They were astonished. The sense of the word there is overwhelmed. You can imagine if you've ever lost a child for even just a few minutes, both the panic and the relief hitting you simultaneously. That's what Mary and Joseph experienced. Uh, let's see. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us so? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? And they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray. 
God, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would give us your help to understand it, to make sense of it, to apply it to our lives. Not simply that we would be informed, but that we would be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Who am I? Uh, that's, uh, that's an important question. It's probably not a question you ask yourself every day, at least not most of us. Some of us are terribly introspective and we probably ask that question way too much. But I would argue that that who am I question, the identity question, animates everything else that you do. That how you pursue your life, how you relate to the people around you, uh, how you work, where you work, where you go, all of those things uh, flow out of how you answer, who am I? Uh, answering that question is actually part of, maybe even the most frustrating part of, the growing up process. Right? It's the reason uh, why when we are young, we can be so intolerable uh, and frustrating to, uh, to the grown-ups around us. Um, that's a natural part of, of growing up is wrestling with that question. Who am I? Uh, and really the hard part about it, if you're, uh, if you're a child or a teenager, is you're wrestling with that question and you don't even know you're wrestling with it. Right? So um, you're casting about for answers and it's not really even a question you realize you're answering. And of course, on the other end, your parents have completely forgot that they ever asked that question. And so they're like, what in the world is wrong with you, right? When like the moody 13-year-old storms through the kitchen, you know, it's like, what is your problem? Forgetting that they too at one point uh, wrestled with the same deal, right? But it's, it's the reason why people take long trips. Uh, we've, we've introduced this thing called a gap year, right? Where you finish with college and then, you know, you go uh, hiking or backpacking Europe and staying in questionable places so that you can find yourself, and that phrase even has become kind of a humorous cliche, right? Working, uh, working adults are probably like, yeah, come get a job. You'll find yourself there, right? That's how we tend to approach that. Um, but it's an important question, uh, and it causes a lot of angst, which is why Jesus' words in this passage are so remarkably refreshing. Uh, because when Jesus says, why are you looking for me? Didn't you know where I would be? Didn't you know that I had to be about the things of my father? Now, the, the translation that I read from says, uh, in my father's house. Uh, you might uh, have an older translation that says, about my father's business. And why there's some confusion there is because the word house and the word business aren't in the text. There's actually just a, a, a space there, not even really a space. Uh, you might literally translate it, didn't you know I would be about the things of my father? Um, Jesus is saying something that would have made sense to his parents listening to him. And since the, the question they're asking is one of location, where in the world have you been? Jesus is saying, you should know where I am. I am in my father's house or about my father's things. But what I find refreshing about this saying, what Jesus says here, and it's actually the core of the whole story, is that Jesus, even at the age of 12, 
which in the ancient world, he would be on the verge of adulthood. And every 13-year-old in the room looks at their parents and says, I told you, right? Um, Jesus, in the first century, is on the age of adulthood. We can That's a, a discussion for another time, whether you are or not. But um, even at the age of 12, Jesus understands two very important things, who he is and what he's come to do. Now, how much of that he understands, the text is not really clear. As we're going to see in a moment, Jesus has to grow up. Jesus does grow. He's not a a perfectly formed adult in a 12-year-old body. Jesus grows. But at the age of 12, Jesus understands his identity. And because he understands his identity, he understands his calling. And that is something that you may not understand even at the age of 80. So there is something here for us to, and really kind of the main idea that we're going to pursue is that because Jesus understands his identity, it gives him clarity about the rest of his life. And the same is true for me and for you, that when we fully grasp our identity, then all the other questions will begin to answer themselves. When we begin, when we get a good, solid gospel answer to the who am I question, then the question of calling begins to answer itself. Um, Three things I want to point out. Uh, The two first ones are really minor points, and they flow out of things we've already said, but they're important, and they're here, so we're going to look at them. And then the final point is is really the main one of the passage. But uh, the first thing I want to point out is that Jesus has good parents. Uh, Second, at the very end, we see that Jesus has to grow up. And then finally, we're going to talk about what it means that Jesus knows who he is. Jesus knows who he is. He has a grip on his identity and his calling at age 12. Uh, first, Jesus has good parents, right? It's, it's the devotion of Mary and Joseph that set the frame for this story. The, the text tells us that every year they go up to Jerusalem for the Passover. You may remember that the Passover was one of the, uh, was one of the religious feast of Judaism. Really the main one. Um, it's detailed in the book of Exodus. Uh, we talked about it last week during Easter week. But every year, uh, it happens in the spring of every year, Mary and Joseph would go up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This was their custom. Now, to tell you what that would mean for them, from Nazareth, where they lived, this would be about an 80-mile trek on foot. And so it would take roughly three to four days, averaging 20 miles a day. And they did that every year. They probably uh, would have traveled in large groups. We see that in the passage, right? You, Because uh, the roads were dangerous, there were robbers, there were predators. Uh, you would travel in caravans, in large group, neighbors and family members going together. And then the whole feast, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it was called. Uh, Passover was just the beginning, but the feast actually lasted for a whole seven days. So I want you to imagine... Uh, what it would take for you to make a four-day journey, stay somewhere for seven days, and then make another four-day journey back home. And this was before interstates, automobiles, and Walmart, 
right? Uh, these people, think, think about the massive investment of time, of money, of preparation that it would have taken for them to make this trip. And this was their yearly custom. Why? Because Mary and Joseph loved their God. And they wanted to worship and glorify their God. And so they made it a point. Mary didn't actually even have to go. Jesus didn't have to go. According to Jewish tradition, uh, traditional law, only the men had to present themselves in Jerusalem. So the fact that the whole family went tells you that this was a priority. This was a priority for them as a family. And I said this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to say it again because I think it's important. What we see in Mary and Joseph is that the most, and this is, this is how we apply this, the most important things we can do for our children are spiritual things. The most important things of all the things we spend our time on, of all the things that we worry about, is leading our children to know and love God. That's what Mary and Joseph are doing. They're very intentional about it. We see that because of the the great investment uh, this would have taken for them, the great effort they would have had to go to. And even since we're speaking about identity, right? We want our children's identities to be shaped by a right knowledge and love of God. Parents, your children need to see you delighting in God. That will transform them. Actually, the Holy Spirit will transform them, but God will use that, right? We want to we wanna show our children, we want to lead our children to know and delight in God. And this applies both to parents and to those of you who aren't parents. This can have an application both ways. For parents... Where are you spending your time and energy? What are you saying yes to? And does that yes indicate an intentional knowing of God? So what are you saying yes to? Does it lead your children to glorify and enjoy God? In other words, is there a goal? Is there a goal to your involvement in soccer? Baseball, cheerleading, band, dancing, yes, even pageants. Is there a goal? Of all the things that you're... What are you saying yes to? And then how are you saying no to guard that yes? Are you saying yes in a way that leads your children to glorify and enjoy God? Or are you simply buying into the frantic spirit of the age? I'm not saying that involvement in any of the, those activities, by the way, is inherently sinful or, or unbiblical. But are you intentional? Are you intentional? And then for those uh, who don't have children, either maybe don't have children yet or God has never given you children, how are you intentionally helping the children around you? and their parents to glorify and enjoy God. You too can have a role. Listen, just because you're single or because you are without child 
does not mean that you are left in the dugout. Does not mean that there is no role for you to play uh, in the mission of the church. So, can you mentor? Can you teach Sunday school? Can you volunteer on Wednesday nights or in the nursery? Mary and Joseph are good parents. They are good parents because even though they're sinful, uh, they intentionally point their son, whom they are not aware yet actually is God, right? They intentionally point their son to God. They don't take his identity for granted, right? Mary heard what the angel said. Joseph heard what the angel said, but they don't take that for granted. They go to Jerusalem every year. And my guess is they were in the synagogue every Sabbath, right? They were intentional in pointing their children to God, are we? Second, Jesus has to grow up. Look at uh, verse 51. At the end of our passage, and it says, He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Now think about that for just a second. Jesus was submissive to them. He was obedient to them. Jesus was without sin. He has no sin nature. He is not inclined to sin like every other human being. He has, so, so the sinless Son of God has to obey sinful earthly parents. Just think about that. And the act of humility that that would take. Now I'm not saying that Jesus' parents ever led him astray or that he ever sinned by listening to his parents. But that Jesus has to obey his parents. He is submissive to them. God submits himself to the governance of sinful parents. So see, kids, I know you think you got it bad, but Jesus always knew better. And he still had to obey. Right? Um, but that's, that's not all. It says in verse 52 that Jesus increased. He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So what that tells us is Jesus grows up in every way possible. Uh, he grows in wisdom. That means he, he had to grow in understanding the world around him and understanding God's word, how to interact with it. Jesus grows in wisdom. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus has to grow up? That he's, that he's not, again, like I said earlier, he, he's not like a perfectly formed adult male at age 12. That Jesus has to grow. He gets bigger. He gets wiser. Alright? He grows in wisdom. He grows physically. And he grows in favor with God and man. That means in his relationship to God, it gets better and better. Now listen, that's mysterious. I don't know how that works, okay? To be fully God and fully man, I don't get that, okay? But that's how, that's how the Bible presents Jesus. And yet, it says that Jesus has to grow, right? And he grows in favor with man. Jesus is not an antisocial recluse, Jesus does not avoid people. How easy would that have been to do for Jesus? Right? To be frustrated and angered by the people around them. But Jesus grows in favor. That means 
Basically, he's well thought of by those in his community. When Jesus would walk down the street, people would say, they would, they would be glad to see him. Okay? So Jesus grows in every way possible. And here's why that matters. We need Jesus to experience every part of human life so that he can be our perfect savior. This is the way uh, Steve read it for us earlier from Hebrews 4.15. It says this, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So, children, teenagers, Jesus gets you. Jesus understands you even when you think your parents don't. Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected. Jesus knows what it feels like to be left out of the game. Jesus knows what it feels like to be alone. Jesus understands. Jesus gets you. Um, when the kids around you are cruel or unkind, Jesus understands that. You imagine Jesus probably got picked last for the kickball game sometimes. Because who wants the goody two-shoes around? Who always did what his parents told him to do? That kid is not the one we always want to hang out with. So Jesus probably experienced some isolation. Just speculating. Jesus understands. Jesus gets us because Jesus is us. He faced all the temptations we face. Yet... He did not give in to them. Jesus faced all of our temptations, but He did not give in to sin. That means that we can go to Him. That means we can trust in Him when we don't think we can trust in anyone else. That means when the world is against us, we feel like nobody understands, nobody's listening, Jesus is. We can trust Him. But then finally, and most importantly, Jesus knows who he is. So we go back up. Mary and Joseph, uh, the feast is over. They start making the trip home. Uh, they get about a day and they realize that Jesus is not with them. Now, maybe you ask, how in the world could you do that? Okay, I know people who have left their kids at gas stations and restaurants on the interstate. So... It happens, all right, and didn't realize it till like they got on the road down a ways. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, okay? Uh, here's here's what you're going to see happen after worship today, all right? I'm going to walk back there. My wife is going to walk back out back out there. Both of us are going to start talking to people. Neither one of us is going to have any clue where our kids are, right? Why? Because we're with friends and family. And now here's what you can, and now this is Soup Sunday, uh, so it, it's a little bit different, but uh, on a normal Sunday, here's what you'll also see happen. About the time we're ready to go, 
Let's go. Come on. Right? Well, we go find them and we get them in the car and we leave. Right? And that's what Mary and Joseph do. They're traveling back to Nazareth with friends and family. Uh, maybe Mary and Joseph are in different parts of the caravan, and, and so Mary assumes Joseph's got him, Joseph assumes Mary's got him. Either way, as they get close to their resting place for the evening, uh, they start making camp, they realize Jesus isn't here. Right? I thought he was with you. No, 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 no. He, I thought he was with you. And so they start making their way around the other families. Is Jesus with you? Have you seen Jesus? No, I hadn't seen him. I hadn't seen him all day. What about you? Have you seen Jesus? Right? And now you know, most of you know that, that panic that begins to set in. Right? Maybe bordering on hysteria. Um, after all, they'd made about a day's journey. They'd been about 20 uh, miles away from Jerusalem. Okay? And again, that was on foot. And so they make their trek back. It says after three days they find him. So we would assume the, the journey away, the journey back, and then one day looking in Jerusalem. And then they find him. And where do they find him? They find him in the temple. Uh, and what they find him doing, right? So uh, in, the, in, the, in the rabbinic style, in Jewish style, teachers would sit and they would teach by asking questions, asking and answering questions, okay? And so what Mary and Joseph see as they make their way into the temple, the court, wherever they, wherever they are in the temple, is Jesus sitting with the teachers, asking questions and listening to them. Now notice, Jesus is not, uh, Luke does not put Jesus in the posture of teacher yet. He is seeking out, he is asking questions uh, and maybe giving answers to the teachers who are there. So he's not presenting himself as a teacher. Right now he's the learner. But already he is amazing the people there with his depth of insight, with the answers that he gives them. And so one just side application is, let's train our kids to ask good questions and to seek out good answers. Daryl Bach, a scholar, Luke scholar, says that Jesus is portrayed as a boy with a thirst to understand and discuss spiritual questions. And so the people looking on are amazed, and this is just a foretaste of how Jesus, the impact Jesus will have as an adult when he begins his own teaching ministry and the people are astonished at the words that come out of his mouth. All right? Now, Mary and Joseph are a little exasperated. Like I said, they're, they see this scene. Of course, they've been frantically searching, right? Mary even says, Jesus, we've been, we've been seeking for you uh, in great distress. That word means uh, mental anguish. And so they see Jesus, uh, and Mary says to him uh, there in verse 48, Child, why have you treated us so? You can, you can hear that disciplinary tone, okay? Uh, when she says child, it's probably not a, oh, sweet baby, right? It's, child, why have you treated us so? We've been looking for you anxiously. And Jesus' answer is the point of the whole passage. Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my Father's things? Now, uh, Jesus is not being cheeky, okay? He's not being sarcastic with his parents, again, because it says he was obedient to them. What Jesus is doing is he's basically saying, where else would I be? 
Where else would I be but where people are learning the things of God? You should know. I'm right where you should expect me to be. And Jesus uses a word when He says, I must be about my Father's things. That word must, Luke uses it on the lips of Jesus several times in the Gospel. Each time it is about Jesus' mission. I must go to Jerusalem. The Son of Man must be crucified and arrested and must be arrested and crucified. Right? When Jesus says, I must, he's always referring to the mission that his Father has given him. And so while the end game is not yet revealed, the shadow of the cross is just barely visible on the horizon. Already, Jesus' face, already Jesus' path is going in a direction that his parents would probably rather him not go. Already, Jesus' life is beginning uh, to take him in a different direction. And what he must do stands in conflict with maybe what his parents would wish he would do. And that will only get clearer as the story progresses. What do we do with this? Hamlet, uh, Shakespeare's Hamlet. You can always quote Shakespeare if you really want to impress people. I don't remember the last time I read Hamlet, but it's going to sound good when I quote him. Uh, this may sound familiar. Uh, the character Polonius says to his son Laertes in Hamlet, To thine own self be true. You've heard that before? To thine own self be true. Uh, Polonius' advice, at least what most people think Polonius means, is, Son, take care of yourself and you'll be good to others. Take care of yourself. To thine own self be true. Well, Jesus is true to himself, but here's where he defeats our normal wisdom. When Jesus is true to himself, he's actually being true to himself as the Son of Heaven, who gives his life away for the sons of earth. Already, Jesus is moving towards the cross. When Jesus says, didn't you know I must be about the things of my Father, He's telling us that He is dedicated to pursuing His Father's will at all cost. Already, Jesus, at age 12, is dedicating Himself to pursuing God's will for His life, whatever that may, whatever may come. And do you know what that means for me and for you? Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Do you know what comes next? So that we might receive adoption as sons. Jesus understands what it means to be God's son. He understands that as God's son, he must go all the way to the cross. He must follow his father's will all the way to Calvary. And when he does, when the son of God goes to Calvary, he makes it possible 
for rebellious sinners like you and me to become sons and daughters of God. That we might receive adoption as sons. Identity. Who am I? Jesus knows who He is. He knows what He's doing. The question is, do you know who you are? Are you a son or a daughter of God? Here's why that matters, Paul tells us. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Your relationship to God has changed. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Jesus understood his identity and his calling. And he pursued that calling so that you might understand your identity and your calling. Are you a son or a daughter of God through the work of the Son, Jesus? That's an invitation. Let's pray. Oh God, would you help us to find our identity In Jesus. Even as we see you, Lord Jesus, grieving your earthly parents so that you could please your heavenly Father, so also would we see you as our perfect Savior, who has faced every temptation that we have, yet without sin, And whose selfless sacrifice has opened the way for us to move from slavery to sonship. May we know the freedom of being in Christ, sons and daughters. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.